Hello, welcome to another Tablet podcast. My name is Ruth Gledhill and I'm the Assistant Editor for Home and Online. And with me today, we're fortunate to have our Rome correspondent, Christopher Lamb. And we're going to be talking about the 10th anniversary of Pope Francis' selection to the papacy. And that is on Monday. Chris, remind me of what you felt when he was when he came onto the balcony when his name was announced um, those years ago. Well, Ruth, I remember very clearly standing in St Peter's Square. It was a cold evening on March the 13th, 2013. And when the name Bergoglio was read out, I was surprised, very surprised. I remember people in the square around me saying, who is he? And at that point, uh, I knew uh, Jorge Bergoglio to be the Archbishop of Buenos Aires, uh, the Jesuit Archbishop who had been a contender in 2005, uh, the conclave that elected Pope Benedict. So I knew something of him, but not very much. And the main feeling was one of surprise that this was a new moment for the church. And we were having the election of a pope who was something of an unknown. And surprise very quickly turned to hope, didn't it? Especially among the more progressive Catholics. Here was a man who could bring about long needed change, who um, came from a country where he would not be afraid to you know, take people on and where he um, would offer leadership of a, a new kind, perhaps, in, in the church moving forward in quite a difficult uh, period for it, with many um, scandals, child abuse scandals and other problems, internal organisational problems at the Vatican. Um, but that t- hope was quite tangible, wasn't it? He got, I thought he got a fantastic reception. Yes, he did. And you're right that the context uh, which he was elected was, was one of scandal and problems in, in, in the Vatican and uh, a sense that the church needed a um, new direction. And that's why the cardinals opted for, uh, for, for Francis. Uh, of course, the speech that he gave before he uh, well, they went into the conclave was very important and in that speech the Pope talked about the church being too self-referential almost being bent over double without being able to look out and Francis emphasised that the nature of the church is to evangelise to be missionary and that I think is that 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 message that he put forward then just before the the election and what he then tried to articulate straight after um after his election is something that he's continued throughout his pontificate and it's remarkable to go back and look at what francis said on the balcony where he talked about um, the bishop and and his people embarking on a journey together, a journey a journey of fraternity and love, and it, with those words he was kind of pointing to the synodal reforms of the church that have been so important and have been focused on um, much more uh, much more um, with much more focus recently, uh, and 
he's been consistent, I think, Francis, over the last 10 years. I mean, his, when he spoke to journalists three days after his election, he talked about why he had um, chosen the name St. Francis of Assisi. And he talked about a poor church for the poor. He talked about peace. He talked about the protection of the environment. And it's those three pillars, I think, that have that have undergirded his, his pontificate. And, and I think he's been, as I say, quite consistent in, in trying to implement the things that he that he said he was going to do or the things that he was hinting that he would do right from the very beginning. I think he has, and he's obviously a very determined man. And he also lives um, an exemplary life in terms of witnessing um, to humility and um, poverty. And um, he's, a, he's a true Jesuit and a true um, religious uh, as, as well as a priest. But I, I just before, I don't want to focus on the negative. I want to accentuate the positive. But we can't, um, we, we have to talk about um, the ways, the hopes, uh, in a way, were dashed a little bit because of the real depth of the opposition to him and um, because of some of the difficulties that, that have arisen. You know, apart from the um, strident um, social media warrior, cultural warrior stances being taken by some of the uh, more extreme conservatives who opposed to him. Uh, we also have um, a church that, you know, seems almost to be trying to go its own way as <laughs> Germany, um, where synodal reform is starting to looks like it's starting to mean something completely different altogether. And um, they seem to be actually ignoring something the Pope has asked them to do or not to do. And then then you have the church in Holland, the Dutch church, where um, the hierarchy seemed to be adamantly opposed to um people actually trying to take on board some of the reforms that Pope Francis is trying to um, initiate. Why, why, has, um, why hasn't it kind of been a sunny uplands for him all the way? Why, why is it proving so difficult for him to bring about true reform in the church? Well, I don't think he was ever going to be easy. And I think it's in many ways to be expected that we have the open disagreements and the different visions that are being put forward. You mentioned Germany, you mentioned Holland, although that's been uh, a situation that predates Francis. Also, we have the divisions in the United States. And of course, a lot of the opposition to Francis comes from um, some well-funded and well-coordinated networks of opposition within the, the Catholic Church in the United States who don't like the approach that, that Pope Francis has taken. They don't accept his pastoral vision uh, for the church. I think he was always going to have this kind of opposition. He is, after all, an outsider pope. We have to remember he's the first pope um, in around 100 years to have never studied or lived in Rome before his election. He is an outsider to the, we could say, the clerical establishment, and as a, particularly as a Jesuit, particularly as someone who really didn't kind of have an obvious step-by-step uh, -step career path as some senior officials uh, have. So because of his outsider status, because he comes from Latin America, because he's uh, a Jesuit and because he's operating within uh, an increasingly polarised landscape, both within, you mentioned social media, but also within, within the church, I think there was always going to be a lot of opposition. Um, and I think, you know, in a way, Francis has opened up that possibility by saying the church needs to have an open discussion 
about the future and also that he himself is, is willing to to accept criticism and willing to admit his own mistakes. But I think what, what I think is different and what has been difficult um, is not so much criticism of Francis, but what I would call the kind of guerrilla warfare attacks on his authority, the rejection uh, of him uh, to lead the church, a rejection of his authority and, and an attempt to kind of try and create a parallel church. That, I think, has been very difficult. And perhaps that wasn't expected uh, when he was elected. That, you know, as you, as you say, there was hope and I think there still is hope. But when he was elected, there was great hope um, that perhaps the church would come together uh, in a way that, it, I think largely it has done, if you speak to, the, to ordinary Catholics, they are very supportive of Francis. But I think at the, the, the hierarchy level, it's been, it's been more divided. So I want to move on to talk about the Synod. But before we do that, I just want to ask about one aspect of the opposition to him and how he's dealt with that, which is, of course, the Latin mass, um, the old rite. And um, do, you, do you think the way he's, he's dealt with um, this particular aspect of the opposition to him uh, is is the right way well, i think what francis has said very clearly is that his papacy is about the implementation of the second vatican council and at the second vatican council the liturgy was reformed um, or the liturgy uh, was uh, agreed to be reformed by the bishop the bishops agreed to reform the liturgy and therefore, what Francis is trying to do is ensure that the wishes of, of Vatican II are carried out. And when it comes to the um, Tridentine Mass or the, the, the uh, 1962 Missal that you refer to, what I uh, understand from my from my conversations with people and and from from, from speaking to, to to various parties, this is it's clear that this was a concession to use the 1962 missile. It's always been a concession. And Benedict XVI lifted the restrictions in 2007. Uh, and after uh, you know, a, a period of a number of years, Francis decided to review that. He, he consulted the bishops. And the bishops said that this had been a, a cause of division. And so I think that the Pope, didn't have much of a choice but to take some action, particularly in the light of the threat to unity, to church unity. After all, the Pope's, the Pope's key roles is to maintain the unity of the church, to protect the unity of the church. And he had to do that, I think, both in terms of implementing Vatican II, which as an ecumenical council is the highest authority, and in terms of responding to the dangers to church unity that were being created through some people, not all, some people using the older liturgy as a way to create a kind of parallel church or, or an alternative church. So he has been tough on this, but he has a red line when it comes to the implementation uh, of Vatican II. And so I think it's kind of consistent with uh, his vision for the church. And um, the, the synodal process is a, also a kind of natural development on from the Second Vatican Council, isn't it? Could, could you explain um, 
what exactly is the synodal process? Well, the synodal process is an attempt to to implement and continue forms of the Second Vatican Council because at the heart of the synod is an attempt to put into practice in 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 through structures and through other processes the vision of the church as the people of God. And that was something that was articulated in the constitution for the church at the Second Vatican Council, Lumen Gentium. Now, it doesn't mean that there's no hierarchy in the church anymore, but what it means is that primarily the church is the people of God. And the Synod has been and is the, the signature reform of the Francis Pontificate. And as I mentioned earlier, he, he hinted at this whole idea of the synodal journey right after his election. And it's something that has been really the, the, the vehicle for the Pope's pastoral agenda, the synods on the family, the synods on the Amazon and young people. And we're seeing that now with the global synod on synodality, which I think is an attempt at its heart to to implement the Second Vatican Council's vision of the church primarily as the people of God. It doesn't discard the hierarchy, far from it, but it is the emphasis on the church as the people. And the synod and the reforms that it is trying to bring about is about trying to change the culture of the church, trying to ensure that people are listening to each other, people are trying to discern the Holy Spirit, people are trying to respond to the the great upheavals and changes that are happening uh, all around us. I, you know, the Second Vatican Council came out of two world wars in Europe. This synod is taking place whilst another war in Europe is taking is, is happening, um, and all sorts of other up, upheavals uh, that, that are uh, occurring around us. So. I think it is the the bold prophetic attempt by Francis to ensure that the church's mission and the church itself is fit for purpose for the third millennium. And, and why do you think, why is it needed so badly? I mean, do, are we saying effectively that Vatican II didn't work, that we need this now to make it work? No, I think it's about... Uh, the implementation of the council being more than just something that happens in a few years. People say that the council takes a hundred years to implement. And we're now say 60 years after Vatican II in the third phase of implementation uh, of the council. Uh, it's not about saying Vatican II didn't work. It's about ensuring that Vatican II's vision uh, stays alive and continues. I think um, you know, one of the, the one of the novelties you could say of the council was that it didn't simply produce an X Y Z list of things that the church must do. It sought to articulate a vision that then needed to go on and be implemented. It left things open for interpretation, and the synod is a way of of interpreting and implementing it. Now, now Francis um, um, himself is, is not a kind of frail and vulnerable like benedict always looked um a little bit frail um even when he before he became before he retired um but um francis did hint while benedict was still alive he appeared to hint quite often that you know he thought um 
Pope being able to retire was a good thing. And he's, we know he's had health problems with his knee and, and so forth. And um, so I think a lot of people thought um, that maybe his, his retirement would, was round the corner or, or not too far off, maybe after the synodal process. But looking at him now, as, as he kind of seems to get even more into a stride and planning more and more foreign trips, and, and visits around the world and, and make it continue to make robust interventions, um, especially on Sundays and Wednesdays. Um, I think that it seems to me that retirement, it doesn't look at all likely um, and that he's kind of just kind of getting into his stride, as it were. What do you think? Well, it's hard to know exactly what Francis is thinking on this point. Uh, he has... As, as you mentioned, talked of retirement uh, in the past, and you know praised what Benedict did uh, in stepping down. But he also recently, when he was in in Africa, told Jesuits that he believed that being Pope was a was a job for life. So he seems determined to continue on for at least. Uh, in the short term, now he's given another interview recently, which has just come out, where he says that um, that it, you know if he becomes too tired, if he if he's unable to continue due to you know the the you know, just having not, not enough energy um, due to his age, then he would also consider resignation. I think basically the point is this: if he can physically do the job then he will continue doing it. But if some serious illness um, afflicts him or he feels just unable to continue, then he will step down. Yes, and, and that's, the, that's the common sense approach, isn't it? And um, I'm sure you're absolutely right about that. So we've had 10 years. It's been a, a kind of turbulent time, a kind of um, unprecedented time, really, in the church. And as you say, there's so much going on in the world around as well. Um, and, you know, you could say that the need for a strong church has almost never been greater with everything that's happening in the world. And, if you know, Francis is certainly a strong hope. Um, he's a, a strong leader. Um, maybe that's one reason the opposition to him is so strong. Um, but... Um, um, to me, it looks as though he's he's on a roll a little bit, you know, as though he's winning um, the battles. What? How, how do you see the next 10 years unfolding? Or is that an impossible <laughs> ask? <laughs> yeah. I think it's difficult to predict the next 10 years. But certainly, I think in, in the short term, I think we'll see Francis uh, continuing. Um, I think, as, as you point out, um, the the church is needed like never before. Although we can say that in many in some parts of the world that the, the church often seems very weak uh, and vulnerable and and struggling to to carry out its mission, particularly in in the West. And I think the question uh, at ten years for 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 when we're looking at the Francis pontificate is. Whilst the Pope has articulated a, a, a strong and compelling vision based around the Gospels, based around the figure of St. Francis of Assisi, and he's issued encyclicals, he's gone on visits, as you say, it's, uh, it's non-stop activity from, from this Pope. It's hard sometimes to see where this is playing out on the ground level when it comes to the UK 
uh, Western Europe, United States, to a certain extent Australia, although Australia is quite far along in the synod, uh, synodal journey. And I suppose that's the question that I think I have is is you know, why why is it that we don't see this this uh, vision that Francis has um, more clearly uh, taking root on the ground, um, particularly in the church in England and Wales. Now, of course, there are you know many people church in England and Wales doing great things and are very inspired by Francis, and, and of course things are happening. But I'm just thinking in in, in more general terms there does seem to be this kind of perhaps so yes in some places resistance in some places maybe some inertia i think that's the that's the, i think the big question uh, uh, for the francis pontificate in the future is how can the reforms and the vision of francis be uh, implemented institutionally at every level in the church. And I think that will be the main challenge for the next Pope. Francis is a charismatic Pope. He set the vision, he set the agenda. He's made a huge impact on the world stage. But perhaps the next Pope's role will be maybe to uh, certainly you know, to continue uh, the things that Francis has done, but maybe to focus more on how to implement them at the institutional level and to make the vision that the Pope, this Pope has, has put forward a reality. Thanks, Chris. Well, um, if Pope Francis stays with us, you know, for a decade or two longer, which is perfectly feasible in today's world of um, medical technology, um, then um, maybe he'll delegate this, not to the next Pope, but to a senior person, um, maybe even create a new post in the Vatican? Am I completely talking out of my hat? Maybe even a woman? Well, I, I, think, that, I think the synod process is a way to implement the vision. Um, uh, could he create new posts in the Vatican? Maybe. I think he's, he's not so interested in creating new structures. I think he wants the existing structures to work towards the mission. Certainly the role of women, he wants to input, uh, appoint uh, more women to senior positions in the Vatican. He has, he has done that step by step. Some people would like him to go further, but we have seen an increase, uh, the latest figures saying, from 19.4% of women in the Vatican workforce to 23.4% uh, or over 23% in 10 years. So a significant increase there, but still more to do. Well, we're recording this just after the latest International Women's Day, so let's hear it for the women in the church. A long way to go but significant progress on so many fronts achieved by Pope Francis in, quite of, in spite of you know, really strong opposition from some quarters. So um, let's all pray for Pope Francis as we move forward and, and pray for a good, constructive, positive outcome to the synodal process. Thank you very much, Chris, for being with us today. And we look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks, Ruth. 